0: All right, so I got to be honest with you. If you are like tracking with this series that we're doing, we're doing a series called Blueprint for Life. If you're tracking with this series like you memorized the order we were going to do this series in, like every sermon, you knew, you put it on your calendar that today, anybody with, with me? Anybody do that? Okay. Today was supposed to be a message called Working Faith, but it's not. Next week, we're going to talk about working faith, and we're going to do it for two reasons. One, I'm going to blame the Lord here and believe that, that the Lord really wanted us to talk about something else. I, I, I believe that, but if you get nothing out of today, then you can blame me. Two, next week is friend day. And we've been talking about it for several weeks. We've been doing a lot of things. You'll hear a little bit more about it at the end today. But next week is Friend Day, and we want you to bring your friends. And we don't want you to bring your friends that go to another church in this community. We want you to bring your friends that don't go to church anywhere, that maybe are out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reason that we want to do that, and we talk about this a lot, we say we came to Canton for the 85,000 unchurched people within seven miles of this school. We say it so much you may be tired of hearing that, and that's okay. But we want to try to put feet to that. I mean, the reason that we do Friend Day next week is so that you have an easy invite opportunity to bring one or two of those 85,000 people that you know that are unchurched, that are maybe outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we want you to bring them next week. And and I believe, really, the, the, the topic that we were going to talk about today, Working Faith, fits better next week. When those people will be in the room, then the people, and there may be people in the room today, and that's okay, but people that really, really, really are outside of a relationship with Jesus and need to know how to get into a relationship with Jesus. And so next week, we're going to move that message to next week, working faith. And so I I really, really want you to go to work this week if you haven't already. I'm going to do the same. And I want you to get your neighbors here and your friends and your family members, the friends of your kids. I mean, your kids have an easy win here that they can bring friends. And if they bring their friends into our preschool or grade school environments, they can win a Toys R Us gift card and a really cool action Bible. It looks like a comic book, but it's actually the stories of the Bible. They can win that next week by bringing their friends. If you bring people next week, you you can be entered into a drawing to win Falcons tickets. If that doesn't interest you, you can sell them on StubHub or something and make money and tithe back to the church. And it would be incredible for you. To do that. So bring those folks next week. But the, the reason I tell you that is I want you to know that we are switching the message today and that that plan changed really in the middle of the night last night. I woke up about three o'clock and I got up. It's not important what I got up to do, but I got up and while I was up, I really felt like, you know what? Totally different message tomorrow. I really feel like the Holy Spirit started working in me and I went back to sleep. It wasn't one of those. I stayed up the rest and I went back to sleep. I got up this morning And knew exactly where the Lord would have us to go today. I'll tell you what started in me this week. I was on Facebook this week. And as I was on Facebook, I started doing something I haven't done in a long time. Have you ever purged your friends list? You ever just gone through there and you just realized that some of the people that are your friends, you don't want to be friends with anymore? And and I started doing that. I started unfriending some people that I, I I didn't even know how we became friends. I didn't even know if I knew them. Somehow we have like mutual friends. I don't even know our mutual friends, so I don't want to be friends with them. And so I started unfriending some folks and I started hiding, which I just found out from Trevor that you can do really a lot. So I started hiding people off of my newsfeed that I wanted to stay friends with, but I didn't want to see that they had Italian for dinner last night. And so I started, I don't think I hid anybody in the room. So you have no fear. You can tell me what you ate last night, but there were a few criteria that I used to hide people. One, if I didn't know them that well or I hadn't really interacted with them in maybe ever or a really, really long time, I just kind of hid them off of my newsfeed. Or if they were somebody that just I didn't like the things that they posted. Like, and and some of those people I unfriended if it got to that level, but if they were just always negative, like negative Nancy, and if your name's Nancy, I'm not talking about you, but just, you know, anybody that just was talking about stuff, like all, it didn't matter. Like, even if I agreed with them about the topic that they were being negative about, like, even if it was about the politicians in Washington, and then, like, every post was about how every politician's a dirty, rotten liar, and they all need to go to hell, and, like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna hide you. I don't wanna hear that every single post. I, I don't want to know that you think Obama's the Antichrist. Every single time you post something. I'm just gonna hide that. I don't need to know that you think the Falcons and the Braves and the Hawk and the Hawks and the Dream and the Georgia Bulldogs are a miserable failure to you this year and that you think they're the worst teams ever and they need to all switch defensive coordinators or coaches or what I just hid you. I just I, I don't want every post to be negative, right? But there were there were others that really kind of they rose above just this fickle thing, and I didn't really hide a lot of those sports folks. But I mean like I I hid people that I felt like the things they were talking about weren't necessarily things that I constantly wanted to be exposed to. And so I just went through and I unfriended some folks and I hid some folks. Because I, it, it, it occurred to me that there were things that I was exposing myself to, I was listening to or reading and really kind of letting those things get into my mind and into my heart. And the accumulation, I guess, of all those things just became for me a little, little more than I even wanted to deal with. And so I was able to, because it's easy on Facebook, I was able just to click the little button and hide those people from my timeline. It's harder in real life to do that. I mean, when we're in, in real life, we're in real relationships with one another. And there are people that do those things on an ongoing basis in our life. How do you deal with those people? I mean, how do you deal with people that are constantly, constantly negative about everything? I mean, you walk outside and you're like, man, it is beautiful. They're like, yeah, but it's cold. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is, but I mean, you know, it's, it's beautiful. It's not as cold as it was yesterday. Let's find the silver lining in this, right? Or, or you you know, you're looking at it and I'll use the sports analogy, you know, oh, hey, you know, Georgia didn't lose yesterday. Yeah, they didn't play though. Right? (laughs) Right. I mean, you just, you just find something negative in everything. It's like, man, that food was so good. Yeah, but it was so expensive. Have you ever ever met anybody like that? I mean, they just constantly find the negative in everything in life. Those people wear me out. I mean, they just sap the life out of me. But it's not just negative things. It's also people that can't, like they don't have anything to talk about if they're not talking about somebody else. Right, they walk up to you and they may disguise it in some way. Like if it's in church, maybe it becomes a prayer request. Or if it's on the job, maybe it's some kind of evaluation of the other departments. And like, oh, have you heard what they're doing down on the seventh floor? Yeah, they're losing a lot of money down there because of Steve. Like he's an idiot. Or I mean, whatever he, they you say or they say to tell you something they want to tell you about somebody else. And maybe it's out of their own insecurity. Maybe they feel like they have to lower somebody else so that they're, you know, in your eyes, they're a little higher, a little better, a little smarter, a little funnier, whatever it is. They, they have to lower somebody. They're just constantly talking about people, pushing people down. Those people wear me out. And so as we look today at this idea of speech, we're going to look at the idea of how we talk, how they talk to us, the things that we listen to. The, the, the negative folks in our life, the people that are constantly just, just wearing on other people. And we're going to continue this series that we've been talking about, Blueprint for Life. It's a, a, a study for six weeks out of the book of James, which is a letter in the New Testament written by the half-brother of Jesus. And he really writes a letter that turns out to be a lot like the book of Proverbs. And we're actually going to reference some Proverbs today as well. But Proverbs, uh, I'm sorry, James is, is, is like Proverbs in that there's a lot of these one-liners or two-liners that really give us some incredible wisdom, but then he changes subjects and he goes to another thing and he deals with one or two liners there, one or two verses, one or two sentences, and then he jumps to something else. But we'll read some longer passages today, but right in the middle of James chapter 1 is a one-liner. It's in the midst of some other things that we've already talked about and a few things that we're going to talk about over the remainder of our time in this series. But James chapter 1 verse 19 is this one-liner. And most of you, some of you have heard this, even if you weren't a Christian, even if you aren't a Christian, even if you weren't raised in church, you haven't been around faith very long at all. This is something you've probably heard in some other connotation. You didn't even know it was in the Bible, but it's in there. James chapter one, verse 19 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You ever heard that? Yeah. We've heard this in a lot of different ways, a lot of different contexts, but it's right there in the Bible. It's right in the book of James, this letter that James wrote. This half-brother of Jesus, he gives us this incredible piece of truth. That was, what I just read to you was from the English Standard Version, the ESV. It's a, a version that I read a lot. I actually preach out of that version most weeks when we're talking. If it's something different, I usually reference it to show you that it's something different. But what, I want to show you the message translation. This is a paraphrase that some of you may be familiar with. It's a, a little more common day language. This is what it says. This is the same verse post this at all the intersections talking about just, Hey, make sure everybody sees this. And hears this, this is important. Dear friends, lead with your ears, follow up with your tongue and let anger straggle along in the rear. I love that lead with your ears, follow up with your tongue and let anger straggle along in the rear. So there is something here that James wants us to know. As we look at the way we talk, the way we listen... The things that we talk about maybe, how we control our emotions, how we control our anger, how we control our energy, the things that we do in life. There's something here that James wants us to know. We're going to maybe jump to a couple other verses that he gives us. But this idea of the way that we speak, this idea of talking or our tongue or controlling our tongue or controlling our speech is something that is referenced in the Bible a lot. Old Testament, New Testament. If you just do a study of your mouth or tongue or you look at speech or speaking, there are hundreds of references in the Bible, literally hundreds, I'm not exaggerating, about the way that we talk, the things we talk about, how we can control it, what we are to do, and how we are to do that. And I want to just read a few of these together today. Uh, several of these first ones are found in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs was written by a really insightful, wise man, and he wrote to us, or he wrote to, to these things down to kind of give to the reader now, us, some wisdom, some things about the way that we could live. And this is what's found in Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 16 through 19. That's what it says. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. Now, interestingly to me in this is that we have six things that the Lord hates... Seven that are an abomination, but of these things that are listed, three of them are somewhat connected together. We read there in verse 17 that it's a lying tongue that the Lord hates. We also read in verse 19 that it's a false witness who breathes out lies. Now, that seems to be uh, something very similar there. A lying tongue or a false witness who breathes out lies. Maybe one is uh, just... Somebody that just lies all the time and one who's somebody that speaks to something that they saw and lies about it, maybe, I don't know. And then one who sows discord among the brothers. Now, how you sow discord among the brothers or among other people, you could do that a lot of ways. But one of the predominant ways that we sow discord is with our mouths. We, we kind of get into the relationships. We start getting in between two people and we, we just start, you know, talking a little bit. Or we, we tell one person that the other person did something. Or one person that the other person thought this or said this or did this to them or for them or on their behalf. And, and that we get them kind of working against one another. So there's some interesting things here in this six things the Lord hates. Which I don't want to do the things the Lord hates. Right There's some things here that are common in that a lying tongue, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. So that's important for us to understand that right off the bat. There's some things that maybe we're a part of that the Lord hates. Proverbs 10 and 31 says this. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. That's bad. You don't want your tongue to be cut off, Right? The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. There is judgment for the one who uses their tongue for perverse things. Proverbs 12, 18 and 19 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust. Now, I want you to get the imagery here. Think about a sword thrusting into and out of someone. I know that's like grotesque for some of us, but think about a sword going into and coming out, thrusting into, okay? Those, there is one whose rash words... Are like those sword thrusts into and out of someone. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. The opposite of that. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. So the imagery here is that if you have rash words, if you if you're quick to speak, which is not what the original one that we read in James 1 said, the original scripture, you're quick to speak, you just you just kind of always keep your mouth running. You've met people like this. They're just always talking. They don't even believe a lot of the things they say. They just keep running their mouth. And you want to look at them and be like, shut up, right? That kind of person usually finds a way to thrust into and out of someone this this hurt. Because some of the things they say bring hurt or pain. But, but, But what we read in the rest of that is that the tongue of the wise brings healing. You know what is a common factor among some of the wisest people that I know? They don't talk a lot. They should, they're wise. They have all this wisdom. Some of the people that I really lean into in my life, that they're, they're mentors or coaches, they just have a lot of wisdom. I seek their counsel about things. They don't just sit in a room and keep talking all the time. They just kind of hold their tongue. They just sit still, they wait. If something's asked of them, they will answer. And usually when they answer, we go, how'd we miss that? Why didn't we think about that earlier? I've sat in meetings that were were long, long, hours long, some of them. And we've just kind of gone round and round and round. And one or two of the people in the room who have a lot of wisdom, they would wait and they would wait. And then at some point in the middle of our discussion, or maybe towards the end, they would just say one thing. And it would totally change the direction of our conversation. You want to look at that person and go, why didn't you say this like an hour ago? Right? But the tongue of the wise brings healing. There's something that happens when the wise open their mouth and say something. And here's here's the rest of that verse. The truthful lips will endure forever. If you speak truth, you're a part of maybe what was referenced in the other one. The righteous, the words of the righteous. Those things will endure forever, right? But the lying tongue is but for a moment. It will not endure. It will not endure. Proverbs 18 and 21, and you've probably heard this too, because it's used even outside of the faith Context, But Proverbs eighteen twenty one, just the beginning of that verse says death and life are in the power of the tongue. There is a power in our tongue, in the, in the words that we say, the things that we speak that can speak death or life. And you and I have probably all experienced that in some way. That somebody we looked up to, somebody we love, somebody that did have the ability to speak into us. If they just cut us down, if they call out something in us that we didn't see or we don't think, man, it just it crushes us, right? Sometimes in really good ways, sometimes in bad ways. But if somebody were to walk up alongside you, and we've talked about this in recent weeks and other other ways, but if somebody were to walk up beside you and just speak life into you, they just call out some things that they see in you that are of God or some things that they see that God could do in you or through you. They walk up beside you and there's this little kind of vulnerable place in you that you're not sure how this is all going to work out. You're not sure what God may be doing. There's just this new little dream inside of you, this new hope that you have somebody walks up beside you, and they put their arm around you in some way, and they just speak life into that dream. You want to talk about lighting you up. You want to talk about giving you hope. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. One more from Proverbs. Proverbs 21 and 23 says this. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. And the idea here of keeping his mouth and his tongue is keeping it under control. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue under control keeps himself out of trouble. I, I want to stay out of trouble, so I need to keep myself under control in this way. And let's jump back to James chapter 1. We read verses verse 19 earlier. I want to read one more verse before we transition back into James kind of for the remainder of our time. But James 21 and 26 says this, and this is, man, this is painful for those of us who are a part of the church in some way. If anyone thinks he's religious, but does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is is worthless. This word bridle here is what you would assume it is as it relates to horses, but I want to I read it together, define it together. The headgear used to control a horse, it's consisting of a buckled strap to which a bit and reins are attached. Or the second one, really used in a verb context, is to bring under control. So if you have a horse, you put a bridle on them, you put this bit in their mouth, and you can actually control the entire horse. If you've ever ridden a horse, you know that there's something in their mouth that allows you to steer them. That allows you to tell them to go or to stop or to slow down. Because there's something about the way that you are controlling them. And it's not just their anatomy. It's not just the way that they're put together physically. But there is something about the way that you're controlling. Why? Because the mouth is right there. You're controlling the head. You're controlling the tongue. You're controlling the things that they want to do. And the same is true for you and I. If we, we just read in Proverbs, I believe it was 21. If we control, if we keep our mouth and our tongue, we keep ourselves out of trouble. The second definition there is when it's used as a verb, which it is in James 1.26, to bring under control. So if you were to reread that with this definition, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not control his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Anyone who thinks he is religious and does not control his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If I think I'm religious but can't control my tongue, my religion is worthless. If you think you're religious but can't control your tongue, your religion is worthless. It doesn't say anything about believing in Jesus Christ. It doesn't say anything about having eternal life. It doesn't say believing that God loved us so much he sent his one and only begotten son. If I'm religious and can't control this, my religion is worthless. It's worthless it is worth nothing it does me no good so I want us to spend the remainder of our time in James chapter 3 this was all kind of a setup James chapter 3 is where he goes from spending one verse at a time or one-liners, maybe like the Proverbs, and he actually unpacks an entire idea here at the beginning of James chapter 3. And this is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time and really get our plan of action because what we've done in this series is it's a blueprint for life. We're kind of looking for some plans for our lives, the ways that we can improve our lives, live our lives in accordance with the Word of God. And this is where we will find a lot of this today. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. And we have the horse reference again. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a a great forest is. "...is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell." This is some strong words. I'm just on the side right here. Pay attention to this. That's incredible. "...all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind." But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. I'm going to read that again because that is huge. If you get nothing else, get this in verse 9. With the tongues we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now there's a lot there, and I get that. But if I were to boil all of the things that James is saying down to a couple of ideas, it's this. You cannot use the same mouth to praise God and curse people. The things that you do with your mouth to exalt God, to worship God, to lift God up cannot be the same instrument with which you bring about death. With which you speak down to people, you curse people. Where you're just constantly negative, I mean constantly tearing down things, finding the death in everything, finding the negative in everything. You can't do the same thing out of one source. You can't do both. He ends this idea to say, can a, a fig tree bear olives? Now, I'm no scientist. I also don't deal with a lot of fig trees. But evidently, this is such a preposterous idea that he uses it to show how it is impossible for one thing to produce something else that is not of its kind. Does that make sense? He goes on to say, can a grapevine bear figs? A grapevine has a specific source, right? It has a specific DNA. It produces what? Grapes. And so if figs were to come from a grapevine, you would go, how is this even possible? How could some fruit that comes off of this vine not reflect the source of the vine? Now let me get preachy for a second. How can I, that claim to be kind of sourced by God, little Christ, Christian, follower of Jesus Christ, I say that I have been saved by God. I say that God has forgiven me of my sins. He's extended to me grace and mercy, which are big fancy words that mean I didn't deserve the gifts of God that he extended to me. How can I say that that's who I am? I am that. That's that's the vine that I am. There is imagery throughout scripture where he talks about him, us being connected to him, being the vine and connected to him, the branches and the vine. All of this connected to one root source. How can that produce a fruit that is of something different? A different substance. How can I, a grapevine, produce a fig? How can I, a a fig tree, produce an olive? I can't. James is using imagery that you and I, or the people of this day for sure, would understand is an impossibility. And yet, we claim to have one identity, one source but with our lips produce a different fruit. We produce something different. We speak worship to God. We speak life about the life-giving breath of God, the presence of God, the, the things that God extends to us. And yet we curse others. We speak death towards others. We kill hopes and dreams of others. We speak negative of others. We find ways to speak about others and gossip. We bear false witness with a lying tongue, which we know God hates. We sow discord among the brothers, which God also hates. And yet we claim to be sourced by the identity, the power of God. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. And so as we look at this blueprint for life, we look at how our speech can help us to live lives that identify who we are and what we're attempting to become in Christ. I want to give us just a couple of things today that I think will help us to better reflect what's going on in the inside of us by the way that we talk. And the first thing is this: We've got to listen to the things coming out of our mouth, first of all. We've got to identify the things that we are actually saying. Now, we referenced in James chapter 1, verse 19, right up front today, a part of that said, let every person be quick to hear. And I think there's definitely the, the idea here that we're supposed to hear the things that other people say to us and listen for wisdom and, and really take in the things. But, but I think, first and foremost, if we're going to attempt to tr- retrain our tongue, retrain our mouth to make sure that the things that we're saying are life-giving, if we're going to do that, we have to identify the things that are coming out of our mouth now. And guess what? You're the only person that knows everything you say. You thought about that? Like even the person that knows you the best outside of you on this earth only hears the things that they're in your presence to hear. You hear it all. You go to your work and you hear the things that you say on your job. You come home and you hear the things that you say in your home. You come to church and you hear the things that you say in the church. You're the only person that can definitively know everything that's coming out of your mouth. And so the first thing that we need to hear is we need to hear what we're saying. And when we hear the things that we're saying, I think we need to identify what are these things? Are they negative? And I'm not talking about actually expressing some reality if there's a negative reality going on. But are we constantly negative? I mean, is everything about finding the the downward cycle of this thing, how it's all going bad, how we're never going to recover from this, how everything is bad and woe is me. And can, are we constantly are we constantly talking about other people? Are we constantly finding a way just to put other people down, to find their shortcomings, or their shortfalls and to make sure everybody knows the things that they're not good at, good at? We need to make sure that we're listening to the things that we say. What do you say? When do you say them? And why do you say them? What do I say? What are the things that come out of my mouth? When do I say those things? Do I actually say different things in different settings? I think we're all guilty of that. And I'm not just talking about saying things that fit the the, the context or the, the, the setting there. But I'm saying... Do we say things a little differently than we do in other settings? I mean, do we say things in this room that we don't say anywhere else? Do we have like a church language that we say in here when we're talking? I'm not talking about like in worship. I'm talking about like talking to other people. When was the last time you called anybody brother or sister outside of church, right? Do we just have words that we say in the church that we don't say anywhere else? Do we have things we talk about on our jobs that we wouldn't be caught dead talking about other places? But well, we've got a group of friends on our job, and it's a safe place for us to talk about people in that setting. To talk about our spouse, when we would never say those things with our spouse present, but we'll talk about them with those friends or those people on our job. When do we say the things that we say, and why do we say them? Only you can evaluate the the motive in your heart, the motive in your life of why why do you put people down? Is there an insecurity towards that person that you just feel like they're better than you? And so you've got to run them down so people don't see that they're better than you. You have to keep things negative so that later you can be the savior because you brought positive things to a negative environment. Why do you say those things? Evaluate those things. So first of all, we have to listen to the things that are coming out of our mouth. Second of all, we have to be careful what we let in. We have to be careful what we let in. I mean, we reference this be quick to hear, right? But I don't think there is the implication by James here that we have to listen to everything and everybody. I would actually encourage you to limit the people that you allow to speak into your life. Don't allow everybody, don't give everybody permission to speak into you. Don't give everybody access to your dreams where they have the ability to talk you out of the things that you believe God has placed in there. You need to seek wisdom. You need to seek counsel. That's biblical. But not everybody gets access to your dreams. Not everybody gets access to speak into you and have influence over your life. You need to be careful what you let in. And and again, I'm going to just get all holiness here for a second, okay? My grandmother's going to be proud somewhere in North Carolina right now. But you need to be careful what you listen to. What you watch. You need to be careful the people that you allow into your life. They don't just have influence. They just have your time. They they don't need permission. They they, they shouldn't have permission to be in your life. To speak into you. And that you got to be careful what you let in. And I think if you start by listening to the words coming out of your mouth. And you say, what am I saying and when am I saying it and why am I saying it? You may determine that you are saying those things because you heard those things from someone else. And if what you're saying doesn't glorify God, it doesn't keep you pointed in the direction that you say your life should be about. It may mean that for a season or for a permanent season, you need to put that person out. Because they shouldn't have permission to influence the way that you speak, the way that they are doing. So I need to be careful what I listen to because the things that I listen to, they matter. It's why advertisement works and we are becoming more and more desensitized to advertisements. I get that. But businesses aren't dumb. The the reason that Pandora Radio or iTunes Radio, the reason that's important is because they know if I'm listening to music for free, Spotify, these other sources, if I'm listening to music for free, I may hear something and go, I want to buy that, I want to take that with me, I want to have that. They they interject advertisements in the middle of that so that I might hear that and go, Yeah, I need to buy that product. The things that we see, the things that we hear. The reason that politicians have debates is a couple of reasons. One, they want to impress you with the way that they conduct themselves. But they want the opportunity to speak to you about the issues that matter to you. They know that words matter. And so they want the opportunity to speak into your living room. They want the opportunity for you to listen to them. So we've got to listen to the things that are coming out of our mouth. And then we've got to be careful what we let in. And then the third thing that we have to do is we have to train our tongue by taming our heart. We have to train our tongue by taming our hearts. Matthew chapter 12 verse 34 references this thing. Again, you've probably heard this. So this is not new information for you today. i John to come. This is what it says in Matthew 12 34. It says, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James told us that it is impossible for a human To tame their tongue. If you go about trying to just tame your tongue. It's a futile effort. It's not going to actually bring about change in your life. Because your tongue is actually connected to something else. It's connected to your heart. My mouth speaks the things that are in my heart. And so as you attempt to tame your tongue. Or train your tongue. I would encourage you to start with your heart. Starting with my heart allows me to identify the things on the inside of me that are actually coming out of me. If it's just about changing the external, if it's just about changing the words that I say, then I might just be better at deceiving you with the words that I choose to use. But if I identify the internal things in my heart that don't glorify God, that aren't connected to the source that I say I'm about, then I need to start there and allow the words to follow my heart. Because here, here's the reality I could tell you that I'm a grapevine, and externally I could look like a grapevine, and don't take that image too far, right? But on the inside could be an olive tree. And so when olives are produced, it's not actually an impossibility because it's being produced by the internal source of my life. The external is just a reflection of the internal. The words that I say are just this external expression of something that's actually happening in my heart. And so I've got to listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth. I've got to be careful what I let in. And I've got to train my tongue by taming my heart. And here's the reason that I have to do that. This is the bottom line of today. Kind of the one-liner, the Jeremy proverb, the whole big idea of everything we've talked about today. The things you say, say a lot of things. The things you say, say a lot of things. The things that I say, say a lot of things about me. The things that I say with my mouth say a lot of things about my heart. The things that I say about this other person over here by downgrading them or degrading them or putting them down or convincing you that they're negative or convincing you they're bad or convincing you that I'm better than them. The things I say about them, they say a lot of things about me. Because as I'm trying to point you to why they're so bad and convince you that I'm good, I'm actually showing you a reflection of how bad I am on the inside. The things that I say about how bad the world is and how negative this is and how negative things are on my job and how negative things are in my home and I'm trying to convince you all those things are negative, they actually say a lot of things about my perspective in life and the lack of hope that I have in Jesus Christ. The things that I say say a lot of things. The things that you say say a lot of things. What do you say? What things do you say? I mean, it's easy for me to sit here and say I hid a bunch of people on my Facebook timeline because I didn't like the things that they were saying. But I wonder if there are people that have hid me because of the things that I say. I wonder if there are people that Avoid you when they see you coming because they're afraid of the things that you'll say. As they evaluate the things that are coming out of their mouth and they're careful of the things that they let in. They are attempting to be careful not to let you speak in to their life. Because they're afraid of the things that you'll say. They're afraid of the things I may say to them and so they avoid me. The things that you say, say a lot of things. What do you say? Listen to the words that come out of your mouth. Be careful what you let in and then train your tongue by taming your heart. Control your heart by giving that heart to Jesus Christ fully and completely. If you have claimed to walk with him a long time, that doesn't mean that you're exempt. You got to train your heart, tame your heart. Bring it under control. Put a bridle on your heart. Allow God access to control your heart and control your life. And I believe if we do that, then we will see the words that are coming out of our mouths be different words than we've been speaking up to now. Words that reflect this incredible change that's taking place on the inside of us. Maybe, maybe literally take an inventory. Maybe at the end of today, before you lay your head on the pillow, you think back over the conversations that you've had and you go, what, what did I talk about today? Did I run a bunch of people down? Did I find every opportunity to lift me up by pushing them down? Did I find every opportunity to be negative when nobody was asking for me to be negative? I mean, did I, did I say inappropriate things to others? Did I speak ill of my friends or my spouse or my family members? And if you did, recognize those things. Evaluate your heart. Why do I say those things? What's what's in my heart that's causing me to say those things? And then ask the Lord to help change your heart so that you can get your mouth under control. Take inventory because the things that you say Say a lot of things. What are you saying? Let's pray together today. God, we uh, we thank you so much again for your word. We thank you that your scriptures are given to us to inspire us, but also to inform us, to give us a guideline or a framework in how we should live and how we should speak to one another. God, don't let us be guilty of coming into this room and speaking life and worship out of our mouths towards you, and then either in this room or other rooms speak death or cursing towards others. Don't allow us to be trying to be a source that fresh water and salt water come out of. Don't allow us to say we're grapevines, but figs are birthed out of us. God, let the fruit of our lives, the product of our lives, reflect the source of our lives. God, I pray for everyone in this room today, myself included, that we would evaluate the things that we say with our lips, that we would listen to the words that are coming out of our mouths. We would be careful at what we allow into our lives as we listen with our ears. We would, we would understand that we can't let everything in or it's eventually going to come out of us. God, let us be careful what we let in. Let let us be careful who we allow to speak into us. And then God, let us train our tongue by taming our heart. God, let us today reflect you better in the words that we say. By reflecting you better in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.